I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sinanto Walker here, and I am so excited about this guest because every show that we do about eating disorders, about personality disorders, about OCD, those shows are always so popular and they're not represented, these topics aren't represented enough in mental health. So I'm really excited about our guest, Katie Steele, Frauenfelder, who is a therapist, and she's also a personal trainer. So she's got the whole athletic, uh, working with athletes piece, which is a huge, that can be a huge sector dealing with eating disorders as well. So um, I'm really excited to have her on the show. Katie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Kristen. I'm really excited to be on the podcast and yeah. share a little bit about myself and, and what I do. Yeah. Tell our listeners, I mean, you know, you're, you're, I was reading, you know, about what you do on LinkedIn and I was like, oh my Lord, that, that is a lot. So uh, (laughs) there's so every listener, you know, we have a lot of therapists that tune in and we also have um, people, you know, struggling with different mental illnesses, mental health challenges. And sometimes those are therapists too, of course, but I, I always like to have you the guest explain about your background from your own perspective and also why there's always a personal reason why people choose to go into mental health and why they choose the specialties they do. So if you'd give a little bit about your background and also get into, you know, why these, why these areas? Sure. Sure. Um, to give a little background about myself, um, I have a passion for uh, treating people with eating disorders um, and growing up as an athlete myself and um, and always working out and enjoying working out when myself, when I went through my own struggles with an eating disorder and compulsive exercise in college, um, once I went to treatment and went through recovery, I decided this is kind of an aspect of eating disorders that hadn't been tapped into. Um, because when I went to treatment almost 20 years ago, the kind of thinking was, well, exercise, this is what got you into this in the first place. Um, just stop exercising. (laughs) And at the time I thought, okay, well, I'll just take your advice. 
and slowly but surely I was back up to exercising, you know, for three, four hours a day because Mm -hmm. I wasn't taught the balance, the kind of, you know, moderation. Um, Because obviously, as we know, it's really not healthy to not exercise at all. So I started thinking about going into the profession of counseling um, and focusing on eating disorders and people that struggle with compulsive exercise. And encompassed in that is a lot of athletes. So that's kind of a sect of eating disorders that's getting more tapped into, but it's really not where it should be. Um, I recently just left um, a job at an eating disorder treatment center in St. Louis that is pretty much one of the only treatment centers in the U.S., I think in the world, that focuses on the treatment of athletes and people that with compulsive exercise. to me. That is so unreal to me that that, yeah. that would only be, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's mind-boggling. I mean, it is, there are it only is. about three treatment centers right now currently that do that, and the place where I just was is it's the only program that does the residential and partial hospitalization program. The other treatment centers are outpatient. So yeah, it's really mind boggling that in this day and age, it's still not as tapped into as it should be. Um, I think the questions that, you know, that we get, because Melanie Ban, our program director, she's talked a lot about struggling with an eating disorder and also compulsive exercise too. But um, what the the questions that we get from listeners that don't understand what this is, there it's they think, well, why would an how can an athlete be an athlete? You know what's required physically to be an athlete okay. and also have an eating disorder, overeating, not necessarily okay. as much as those that are struggling with things like anorexia or bulimia, how are they able to be an athlete? And yet they do not have the caloric intake in order to support this level of physical activity. Yes. And that is a question that, you know, I still struggle with because, or struggle with answering because a lot of times, you know, these patients, these um, people don't necessarily hit the proverbial wall and a lot of times they even peak when they're in the you know depths of their eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them do though, and what I always tell clients and um, patients when I worked at the treatment center is even though you may not have hit that wall before you went into treatment, I can promise you with a hundred percent certainty that it would have happened or will happen. Your body can only go through such trauma for so long before things start failing. And a lot of, of clients and patients um, did hit that wall before coming in, whether that's, you know, um, irregular heartbeats, their, um, you know, labs, electrolytes are, are off, you know, fainting spells, dehydration, you know, hospitalization for a a variety of things. So a lot of of people do hit that wall. 
which forces them to finally go into treatment. But yeah, the, the body is an amazing, amazing thing to where some people can put their bodies through, you know, hell and back and yeah. they're still able to, you know, compete in their sport. Unbelievable. Yeah, that that piece. So and also we've talked about this on other shows, too, that eating disorders are, if not the most, one of the most difficult to treat and recover from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one of the I'll just go into kind of one of the biggest misconceptions that people still have about eating disorders is um, it's about the food or it's vanity or it's for appearance. Right. Um, and that couldn't be further from the truth. A lot of times, most of the time, actually, it's um, coping with an underlying issue. A lot of times it's mental illness, depression, anxiety, uh, personality disorders. Um, and other times it's to deal with trauma. A right. lot of sexual that abuse. I've seen, uh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. A lot of people I've seen in the past, um, actually, I'd say I think the statistics are over over 50 percent. It's probably even a lot higher than that, have suffered some kind of trauma in their life in terms of abuse, whether it be mm-hmm. sexual, physical, mental, verbal um, and eating disorders. Not not too un- dissimilar um, from addictions is a way to cope with those, right. those feelings. Um, so that's really what eating disorders kind of, you know, are about as opposed to what a lot of people have the misconception of them to be. And that's something that I have learned more and more about over the years and being in this profession, the wide array of reasons why people have their eating disorders. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm, I'm guessing then that the reason why you chose this profession and chose to specialize in this area is because of your own personal struggles with it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And once, you know, going through treatment and lots of stumbles and falls myself, it wasn't, you know, kind of a perfect road. And that's what I always tell clients. It's up and down, windy road. It's not linear. It's kind of all over the place. You take you know, two steps forward and or one step forward steps. and two steps back. Yeah. Sometimes um, 20. Yeah. Yes. And, and we do see that uh, oftentimes with eating disorder um, patients is they are in recovery, you know, for, for a long period of time and something happens that causes them to relapse. Um, but what I always tell people is a, a lapse doesn't have to mean a full blown relapse. Sometimes something happens in our lives where we start to struggle again, and it's knowing and being honest with yourself about the fact that you're struggling and being able to um, seek help before it kind of gets out of hand. So we do Mm -hmm. see people who, you know, come in and out of forms of treatment multiple times before they kind of get a handle on it. And that's kind of just how the process goes. Now, sometimes people can can seek treatment and then be okay, you know, and go through recovery and and um, actually become recovered on the first shot. And I, that's another thing I always try and tell my clients and patients is it's 
you can't compare yourself to how other people go through their recovery. And I think that's tough for some people because a lot of, of those with eating disorders are very intelligent and very type A and perfectionist. And they want to get it right on the first shot. I was just going to say that I was just thinking, you know, this is so I mean, I, I've def, I've had an eating disorder. I've, I'm recovered now thanks to um, the right medication. Um, I take right. Wellbutrin, which helps mm-hmm. me with the binge eating. I don't even want to do it anymore. And for me, it was a coping uh, mechanism because I was sexually abused as a child. Okay. And that, that yeah. became my thing was stuff in those feelings. That was my safety, yeah. right? So and it's something Absolutely. I've struggled with my whole in my whole life. It started at about the age of six and mm-hmm. it's I'm 48. So, but mm-hmm. thankfully, you know, lots of therapy, taking, uh, you know, a prestique to help with the serotonin, but then the Wellbutrin mm-hmm. with the dopamine. It's a perfect combo for me and also the therapy around, you know, why do you do this helps too. But here's, yep. here's the fascinating piece for me with this in particular, and I'm talking any type of eating disorder, you're right. It is people that are, that, that this is their avenue of release from what's from trauma. This is their place. They went to do tend to be the type A's do tend to be perfectionists Uh do tend to have OCD in many cases. And so What I found so difficult for me is like that need to get it right the first time. And then if I don't, I'm a horrible person. I'm this Mm -hmm. failure. Um, If I fall off the wagon, it's just this horrendous um, amount of negative self-talk and lack of compassion for self. And that is, you know, people are have that. And I think people that are listening that struggle with eating disorders or have struggled, get what I'm saying, the level of negative self talk that we have is way Mm -hmm. different. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's that very black and white thinking for a lot of people. It's either you're going to do it perfectly. Or if you have one, you know, quote unquote, slip up, then the it's day, the week, the month. It, it, yes. Exactly, exactly. And um, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, I think that a lot of people with eating disorders are tougher on themselves than anybody could ever be to them. Yes. Um, and oh my God, the yes. outlet for them is their eating disorder. And what I tell people, and I, I don't like ever saying that, you know, one addiction or one disorder is tougher than the other. But I will say the difference with an eating disorder versus, you know, alcoholism, drug addiction is you don't need alcohol, you don't need drugs to survive with food, you know, we have to have food to survive. So sometimes for people with eating disorders, it can take a little bit, the recovery process can take a little bit longer, because they have to find that balance. um, (laughs) I want to reiterate this. I really want you to hear what Katie is saying. And I want it to really resonate with those of you who struggle. 
I used to say this to a friend of mine that would, she didn't have an eating disorder and she would be like, well, just eat a piece of chocolate every day. You don't have to eat the whole bar. And I was like, you don't understand. I, if that is in my refrigerator, I can't every movement in my home sleeping Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, I'm going to be thinking about getting that. I mean, not anymore, but thinking about eating that it's not just, Oh, just eat a piece of chocolate every day. So it's, it's about so much more than that chocolate. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and I even know with myself, um, I've struggled with a variety of forms of eating disorders and it's, it's kind of, Oh, what many people go through when they have their eating disorders is you, it starts as one thing and symptom swaps to the other. Um, Mm. and mine was restriction and, and compulsive over exercising. And then in trying to, you know, refeed and nourish myself, it kind of went to the opposite, um, you know, more overeating. And just like you said, it's not about, you know, that chocolate bar. It's not about that, that pizza. It's, you know, you're, you're trying to fill some kind of void. Um, and like you were saying with yourself, with, uh, you know, mental illness and trauma, I, um, have suffered my whole life with depression and anxiety. And then it turned out to be, um, a mood instability disorder. Mm -hmm. So yeah, taking several different medications and having frequent visits with um, my therapist and psychiatrist is what helped me recover and be on the right path. But I, like I tell people, just going, uh, you know, exactly going along with what we talked about before with the, the black and white thinking is, do I think that you can recover from an eating disorder and be, you know, completely recovered? Sure. I've seen people do it before. Um, I think that it's very possible. I do think what's more likely is you maybe have those thoughts and hopefully they get quieter and quieter as time goes on. Um, And you're able to have them kind of in the back of your mind and then float by kind of like a cloud and not act out on the behaviors. So while you may have a thought come in where, you know, uh, I shouldn't eat this piece of piece of pizza, you know, I should I should work out for an extra hour. You're able to let those thoughts pass without, you know, acting out on behaviors. I think that's a more realistic view of recovery a lot of Mm -hmm. times, because once again, I think people think, well, if I have those thoughts, then I must still, you know, be in my eating disorder. And, you know, not necessarily. That's such a good point, because we will latch, because we spend so much time at war with our thinking, Mm -hmm. because that is what happens. Um, you're, you're at war with your own thoughts and those uh, self-mutilating thoughts. That we, right. <laughs> then you're at war with the whole tra- process of trying to be positive towards yourself. And, oh, but I, I'm even thinking about it, which means that I'm um, slipping. And it's, it's such a, I found, it's such a place, um, people that struggle with eating disorders, struggle the most with having any kind of self-compassion. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, 
you know, a, a lot of times, especially the people who have suffered from um, abuse, trauma, they have um, been told they're no good or they'll never amount to things. And that turns into kind of a, um, you know, a tape playing on repeat. And so um, they start to believe that to be fact. And as right. they get older, you know, it kind of can twist, turn and morph into this eating disorder as, you know, kind of a, a punishment. And a lot of times we, speaking of that, a lot of times with eating disorders, we see um, people with self-harm issues too, which is mm. also obviously a way to punish yourself. So, so we'll give some um, examples of, of, you know, this kind of self-harm that you see. Yeah. So I see, um, I've seen a lot of cutters, people that cut themselves, mm. um, both superficially and, you know, a little more serious. And, and a lot of times I think they don't mean to harm themselves in a severe sense, but they just want some kind of a, a release. And that, that pain, that initial pain is, is the release for them. Mm. Um, I've seen patients who burn themselves, who, um, you know, over-exercise to a point where they feel faint or, mm. um, you know, uh, extreme hunger pains. I also had a patient one time who would wa water load, drink, you know, an extreme amount of water. And a lot of times we would see people water load to either feel full or to manipulate their weight on the scale. But this mm. particular patient did it to, um, self-harm because if she would do it and then not go to the bathroom and she would become so uncomfortable from, you know, not releasing her bladder that, uh, that was her way to self-harm. So I've seen it in a variety of different ways. Um, also the trichotillomania where, um, they, You're you know, pull your out there. Yes. Exactly. What about nail what about nail biting, like to the point yeah. where they're bleeding? Is that another that is a big one too? I, I had mm. a patient um semi-recently who struggled with that too, would you know, be down to the nubs or below and her, you know, hands would always be bright red and bleeding. Um, and that was and of of course that and trichlomania go along with O C D too. Mm -hmm. Um and you know, a lot of as we know, a lot of these mental illnesses, it's, it's comorbid, right? It's not a lot of times you don't have just anxiety or just depression or right. just borderline personality disorder. A lot of times you can have symptoms of all of them. So right. they all kind of mesh into one thing. And then your outlet is, you know, an addiction or an eating disorder. I still struggle with the nail biting thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I have some, some ticks to myself, nail biting, um, and also, um, oh, symmetry when it comes to like, you know, doing my eyebrows or, or <laughs> even with the nails, if one, one side of my hand, the nails are shorter than the other, then I have to even it out on the other side. So yeah, it's, it's things like that, that, you know, even if like myself, I don't have an eating disorder. Um, there's still little quirks and idiosyncrasies that I, I have that I know are probably uh, some kind of a, a coping mechanism for things. But, you know, you also have to think what's the lesser of the evils. Is it having acting out on eating disorder symptoms or is it 
biting your nails, you know, right? It's, exactly. It's, once again, it's not the black and white where all of that goes away or else you're you know, not recovered. What is kind of the lesser of the evil? Um, right. Exactly. I think of, <laughs> I think of it yeah. now, now with having right? way more compassion for myself, I think of it like, okay, so I went on a nail biting binge and uh, <laughs> my hands hurt and I have to take some aspirin and the, my cuticles are bleeding. And you know what? That's okay. Like there's right. some stress going on. There's event trauma. I think you exactly. know people don't think about that too. If you've had severe abuse in your life mm-hmm. or I come from a very abusive family, emotionally abusive um, parents and into my adulthood, okay. emotional abuse with my mother. So I want, I say that because listeners, you know, I want you to think about the self-compassion that is required when, you know, certain dates come up that were yes. the date of the trauma. And mm-hmm. if you find yourself, you know, if nail biting or, or trichotillomania is, is your thing, you know, it's okay for that week for you to not shake hands with people because yes. you know that you've got a bloody stub, which is yes. your hand. And absolutely giving yourself the, some compassion. Yeah. And a lot of times people with, with eating disorders um, are people pleasers. So yep. say, for example, that was a perfect oh, yes. example. You have the, an anniversary coming up of when the trauma happened to you realizing, you know, it's okay if you want to, stay home or not be your yes. outgoing, um, you know, friendly self, you know, you deserve or if you need a to week where you're sleeping more. I mean, I had a yep. week where I, I literally was so tired. I was sleeping during the, I mean, I got my work done and I'm lucky that I have my own company so I can work around, you know, but I, I like slept during the day and I slept mm-hmm. at night and I was like, you're declining. There's something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I had to sit with my therapist and have her say, Kristen, this is the anniversary of blah, blah, blah. Remember you need right. the sleep. And and I think exactly. that's what we, you know, we, we need to be so compassionate with ourselves mm-hmm. around uh, because we forget, we think that we're supposed to be perfect because that yes. perfectionism is part of what drives the eating why eating disorder was an outlet for us. Yes, absolutely. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. And I think a lot of times people um, confuse, you know, self-care and self-passion with being selfish. 
You know, you think, <laughs> oh, well, I don't deserve to um, take a nap or, you know, yeah. get a massage or whatever you consider to be self-care because you think you should be doing X, Y, Z. When in reality, I always tell people it's selfless because you can't be the best person um, you can be to your family, to your coworkers, to, you know, your friends without taking care of yourself yeah. first and foremost. Um, Absolutely. But I think also we've kind of been in this day and age in kind of ingrained to think that you have to fill up every second of the day or <laughs> else you're not being productive or you yeah. won't be successful. Yes. Um, and I also, which is also my segue to something that I talk about a lot with my clients and patients is, um, and I, I think social media is great for a variety of different reasons. You know, mm-hmm. I, I use it a lot, but I think that has kind of worsened um, oh, yeah. a lot of people's mental health, um, especially I see it a lot in the eating disorder world yep. in terms of comparisons. And I also, I, I always say along with that, it's not just what you would think it is in the eating disorder world and you're comparing yourself to pictures of other people. Of course, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But I think with a lot of people, eating disorders or not, you're comparing with a lot of things. You know, why does that person have the perfect family? How come they get to go on vacation again? Why do they have a brand new car? And um, without realizing that social media, a lot of times is a highlight reel. A a lot of times you're not going to post, oh, you know, my marriage is terrible. I just screamed at my kids. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Or I'm, you know, I'm in massive credit card debt to afford, (laughs) you know, to try and buy things. Right. I know. I get, I find myself being really ticked off at celebrities that have such the ability to have a platform for helping others and both say that they're about, you know, women's empowerment and whatever. And then they post these freaking shots of themselves, you know, with all this best lighting and right. And I'm like, that is, you already are attractive. That's why you're a freaking celebrity. Just stop. Um, Right. Well, and then, you know, the amount of editing that goes into a lot of the pictures in terms of Photoshop and, you know, touching up and everything. So, you know, not only are those people, you know, pretty attractive in, in the first place, they also have a makeup artist, a mm-hmm. stylist, uh, a hairdresser. And then on top of that, especially filters the that, that they're using you know, go into so. media. Yes. All the yep. filters, all of that, that they're using. So of course they're going to look, you know, quote unquote perfect because they have all of that at their disposal. Oh, let me ask you this piece. Cause a lot, this is something that I think about and I know a lot of our listeners have asked about. So that piece where, you know, if you are, and I'm not negating other addictions cause they're all, mm-hmm. they're all awful for the person in the throes of it and the family mm-hmm. surrounding them. Right. But, but, you know, someone that's addicted to cocaine as an example, well, you don't have to have cocaine in order to live. You do have to eat, however, in right. order to live. So is it, if you're, I actually, I had a listener email me after we did a show about this and she said, well, I really am careful about what food I actually buy at the grocery mm-hmm. store. 
Um, still, I feel like I'm in recovery, but I wonder if maybe I'm not because mm-hmm. I really only buy healthy stuff. I don't buy any of tri- any of my trigger foods and right. that way I eat healthy. And she was like, but is that, if I was really healthy, wouldn't I be able to just buy whatever and be okay with it? Yeah, that is a great question. Here's what I always tell people who struggle with that. What are your underlying motivations? So say you go to the store and you buy all quote unquote healthy food, um, because I think that most every food can fit into your diet in moderation in a sensible fashion. There should not be any, you know, good foods and bad foods. But I think for, you know, the example that you're using, if she's going and buying, you know, quote unquote healthy foods, is it because that's what she wants to eat and she feels better when she, you know, eats that way. And, you know, it's um, mm-hmm. whatever her reasons are for it. Or is it because, you know, she's punishing herself or it's because she's fearful of gaining weight if she doesn't eat like that? Or, With you know, person, what are the- yeah, the underlying, those are great things yep. to bring up. In this case, she eats healthy because she, um, because it does make her feel good and mm-hmm. She wants to nourish herself. Uh, This is someone that's been listening for a long time and she Uh takes all of the right supplements and what have you. But if she, if she, she said, you know, somebody brought over big thing for her is like anything cake wise. Mm -hmm. And um, if she buys anything like that, um, it's gone. Like it's lickety split gone. She overdoes it and whatever. So she just doesn't, buy those things. And that's how she manages mm-hmm. herself. But her concern is, well, shouldn't I be able to have a cake sitting there and not overdo it? Mm-hmm. Does that really mean I'm in recovery? And, sure. And in, in, in a perfect world, sure. But as mm-hmm. you know, I said before, recovery is not linear. So right. she can still be in recovery and still have some struggles, you know, I'll say okay. kind of like an alcoholic who has been sober for 10 years but knows I can't go into that bar that I used to go into every day for fear Mm. that, you know, I might relapse. So knowing what your triggers are, I think is very important. Um, And not putting yourself in situations knowing that that could be a trigger. And I don't think that necessarily means that you're not, you know, in recovery or not recovered. You just know what your, um, you know, triggers are. Now, with that being said, like I said in the beginning, of course, in a perfect world, she'd be able to buy the cake and be around it and be just fine. But, you know, maybe that's what recovery looks like for some people. Mm. But I think it's not a one size fits all. And if she knows that that is what's going to be triggering for her, you know, I think that is her the way she's doing recovery, which (laughs) I I think is just fine. (laughs) I told her, listen, you're trying to be a perfectionist about your recovery and that's a problem. So stop doing that. It's okay. And, and, you know, I, I have been in recovery for a long time, but there are certain things that I know that I have to be careful of because Mm. it could, you know, send me potentially into a backslide. Um, So, you know, it's, but I have the awareness around it and know you know, what those things are. And also I have gotten to a point where if 
you know, I were to start slipping, I have, um, gathered so many resources over the years that I know who to turn to or, or what to do to help, you know, rectify and kind of turn it around. Yeah, that's the that's the fantastic piece about um, for me about doing this podcast. Um, there's, mm-hmm. you know, I can't help the family that I was born into. <laughs> right. Uh, so of course I was going to have issues, and I just did a genetic test, which listeners, I'm going to talk about that on another show, but it's a mm-hmm. wonderful test that. Um, that shows me exactly what substances I would be um, the most uh, likely to be addicted to. It's not a test oh, wow. telling me this is what your issue is. Yeah, I have actually it. been wanting to do that because I think it's so fascinating. I'll send because- it to you. Yeah, it's it's for yeah. addiction. It's for personality disorders. It's for all kinds Mental of things. Illness. Yeah, because it would be great to know because mental mental illness, addiction, um, eating disorders that all run in my family, you know, immediate family and extended family. And it would be, you know, nice to see that, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of in a. Um, it was fascinating. It was fascinating to see it. I thought for sure that I was going to show up on the personality disorder. Um, side because that just you know runs rampant in my family on both sides sure. and I and mm-hmm. I was prepared you know it was like just right, because right. it may say that doesn't mean that that's what happened because that's not what this test right. does and I well, and I and didn't I came up I, for I I struggle with a lot is um having a daughter who will be five um this weekend mm-hmm. she I I catastrophize a lot and fear, you know, well, this runs in my family. Yep. Uh, is this something she's going to go through? And, you know, she yep. goes, is does things that typical, you know, almost five-year-olds do, you know, like talk back or, or get emotional. Right. And so immediately I think, oh gosh, that's a sign of, you know, this, that, or the other. Right. Um, and, and I try, but I try to remind myself of her age. And also I have talked about this, endlessly with other people in that if if at some point she is struggling with you know whatever it may be um at least I am in a profession and um have the education and awareness exactly because one of the tough things that I've had to deal with uh over the years and being in this profession is denial from a lot of um people's families and mm-hmm, of course yes. nobody wants to think that their you know child their sister their spouse um has something wrong with them and so you know minimizing it or thinking oh no no there's there's no worries actually does them such a disservice right. and the sooner you catch some of these things the more likely that they'll be successful so that's something I can't stress enough yeah that's um, why is, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I want that stigma around getting these kinds yeah. of tests to be gone because yeah it doesn't all it did was explain a lot of things for me, which I'll get into on, on other shows, listeners, I promise. Mm-hmm. I'm just not quite ready to release the information yet. But mm-hmm. um, I have I, I was relieved that the only thing in the antisocial area was PTSD. Thank God. But I was fully prepared mm-hmm. for it to say borderline, uh, yeah. so 
<laughs> whatever, but I, well, um, and I always tell people too, the problem that I have a lot of times with, you know, DSM diagnoses is mm-hmm. I really don't think most people fit exactly into one box. Right. So while, you know, for insurance reasons and, and everything else you might have to, you know, say, be under the diagnosis of depression, right. um, you might have, you know, have depression, but then also maybe some traits of borderline personality disorder, maybe some, right. you know, traits of narcissism, whatever it may be. Um, I think, you know, no two people experience their mental illness the same. And right. I think a lot of times it is a compilation of, of a lot of different things. You know, oh no my gosh, what there was your, how you were raised, if there yep. was trauma, if you had a traumatic event happen to me, my God, there are so many different, um, you know, different reasons. So, yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And just like you said about the stigma, I, everybody who knows me knows that I am, you know, my life goal is trying to help erase the stigma surrounding yes. mental illness. And something that I always tell my clients and my past patients is, you know, when they feel guilty for you know, having yeah. an eating disorder, having these, you know, yeah. would you feel guilty if God forbid, you know, you had cancer or you right. had, you know, uh, heart disease or something like that. And most, you know, 99.9% of the time they say, no, no. It, it's the same thing. And I hate the differentiation between mental health and physical health, because it really is all one thing. Your brain is an organ, just like your liver, like your heart. Um, you know, it's know. just that chemical, um, imbalance that, you know, isn't diabetes a chemical imbalance? Exactly. It's the same thing as mental illness in your brain. And the fact that we still have that distinction between the two um, is, is sad because it, I think that's what has caused a lot of the stigma over years, over the years. And that and they've lumped somehow they've lumped, like no one has lumped physical, the term physical health with physical illness, but somehow they've lumped mental health and mental illness into the same term. And they are, you're so right. I see the two two interchanged all the time, you know, and you're absolutely right. Physical, you know, nobody says, um, you know, I am a lot of times I am, you know, I have physical illness or, or something, you know, it's the specific thing that they have. So why do we have to separate, you know, the mental piece of it when really it's all one body. Um, And I think that I, I think it's fantastic how, you know, going back to celebrities and their platforms that there are a lot of celebrities that are opening up about their mental illness struggles. And I think that is going to be a huge step in the right direction in terms of people feeling more comfortable and, you know, coming out about it. My favorite, one of my favorite people in the entire world is uh, Demi Lovato. She's really open. She reminds me um, a lot of her story reminds me a lot of my story in that not the being famous and being an amazing actress and singing part, but just <laughs> in the fact of, um, you know, having an undiagnosed, you know, mood instability disorder for right. so long. And then, you know, being having an addiction and um, an eating disorder. And her story is proves 
what I said before about the fact that it can be a lifelong struggle and she you know was relapses relapse yep, is part of the exactly part of the journey that's I know I talked about this on a show with these amazing people that do aftercare recovery okay. like after your 30 days and yep I'm like yeah because this whole idea that you're supposed to go to recovery once and then all of a sudden you're cured. And if you're not, yeah. you're some failure. It's like, no, 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 no. You're going uh, to deal with this your whole right. life. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like there's no. nothing wrong with that. It's part of the journey. But anyway, yeah. well, you and definitely. I tell people that, that um, especially parents of, of the kids that come into the treatment center where I work is, you know, we, uh, we don't like them to discharge without an outpatient team already set up because, mm-hmm. and a lot of times parents are, you know, a little bit confused by that, but you know, your child isn't going to be there for say two months and then walk out the doors and be cured as much as I would love that to happen. (laughs) I mean, I would, God, so my life savings for that to happen. That's not how it works. You know, it's, it's continuous care. And sometimes people need outpatient care for, you know, a few years. Some might only need it for a few months, but it's, and it's really not important. A competition. Just because, yeah. and here you go for all you OCDers and perfectionists out there. Just because Sally Joe or Jimmy yeah. Jones, that's a horrible name for me to, to associate <laughs> with. But anyway, you know, just because they seem to have gone once and never had a problem again, first of all, you have no freaking idea what they're struggling with. Yeah. And second of all, it's not that they, they're not better. Nope. They're not nope. a better, more stellar human being. Their brain no. chemistry is different than yours. There's Absolutely. all kinds of factors. But anyway, you're definitely coming yeah. on because we can go on and on and on and we've got to close. Well, and, and you know, <laughs> just kind of touching on that a little bit, that is what was probably one of the biggest struggles I saw with patients going through the recovery process at, you know, the treatment center was the fact that, you know, everybody comes in at a different state. Okay. Mm -hmm. One person might be, you know, severely malnourished and 30 pounds underweight while another person came in, you know, um, with binge eating and was overweight. Okay. So they're at two completely different states and, and one would compare themselves to the other. Well, how come she, um, is able to have exercise privileges now? And I still have to wait or, or why did they get to go, go on this path? Everybody came in at a different state and everybody is going through this differently. You cannot compare yourself to somebody else because you, it's not even, it's comparing different, you know, um, universes you know you guys are not going through the same one of this is planet earth think of it exactly exactly oh well okay tell our listeners definitely we're gonna have katie on again so yay Um, tell our (laughs) listeners where they can find you okay um i'm currently still working on a website so hopefully by next time I'm on, I'll have that up and running. But right now you can find me on psychology today. And it's under my first middle and or first name, maiden name and last name. So it's Katie Steele Frauenfelder. And I'll spell those names for you because they're a little tricky. So Katie is just K-A-T-I-E Steele S T 
T-I-E-H-L. And Frauenfelder is F-R-A-U-E-N-F-E-L-D-E-R. And I am, um, per- I recently left the treatment center where I was to pursue private practice. So that's what I am currently doing now. And I can give you my email address if anybody wants to email me any questions or if you, you know, have any um referrals or, or people that you think, or if you are somebody yourself who, who thinks you can benefit from my services, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and my email address is making the connection one, two, three at gmail.com. So I, I practice in a couple different locations in the St. Louis area. So if you or somebody you know would benefit from those services or even just have some questions about things, I would love to help you out and be a potential resource. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, you are so welcome. You uh, and listeners, she'll be back on again. And of course, thank you for always tuning in and sticking with us all these years. Thanks for another edition of Mental Health News Radio. Without good intentions, I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial.